You know, I didn't go to business school. My plan was not to start a travel company, but I think the best businesses start when you see a need and you find a way to fill that need in a more creative way. And so it organically just happened that I transitioned from actor on tour to agent booking travel for other actors on tour and crew and musicians, etc. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Another fascinating guest today, a lovely lady that I recently met in New York. And I immediately knew that I wanted to talk to her because the one thing that caught my attention is the word travel guru. I consider myself the soul guru because I wrote a book called The Soul Kid. So, but at the end of the day, I'm a travel guru too. My life is travel. So we are a good match, but she's a lot more than that. She's um, the founder of a company called Road Concierge. She's a philanthropist. She's a very good public speaker. And we'll find out now what else she is. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Lisa Morris. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So what happened since we were in New York? Are you having a good time? Well, I've certainly been all over the place since uh, we were in New York. I was in Los Angeles for the Milken Conference, which is a phenomenal conference. I was in Boston for um, biotech. I, I am always on the go. Um, I have a lot of trips upcoming. So yeah, lots a lot's been happening. I, I have a lot of different projects in a lot of different areas and travel allows me to get to all of them. I love that. And we are going to meet again in the in July, in about a month at the yes, Global we'll be over in London. London. Yes, yes. Now, listen, something that I heard when you were talking in at this breakfast that I met you, you were talking about why you started this company called Road Concierge, because it's kind of travel. It's from what I understand, it's an entertainment travel specialist. It's for people who are in the entertainment industry. Why are they different? Well, when you travel as an entertainer, you're not a corporate travel. So you are not looking necessarily for who has a business center. What you need is something that is close to the venue where you're performing a hotel that understands that you are working at night and not during the day. So you need um, facilities to be open late. I mean, imagine if you finish work at 1130, you don't have a car, you go back to your hotel and there's no food available and there's no bar open. So their needs are different than a corporate traveler. Um, They usually will need a late checkout or a very early arrival. You need tour bus parking. You need a way to do laundry. That's a really big one that no one thinks about because if you're traveling for business for two days, you don't have to do laundry or you can send your shirt to be pressed at the hotel. But if you are traveling for a year with a production and you live out of a suitcase, those clothes have to be washed. So finding a facility that has a you know a coin laundry for you to use or a wash and fold service becomes a really important part of your travel experience. Many entertainers are also traveling with pets. And that's a big thing. A lot of hotels won't allow animals. And so there are a lot of different facets to it. Uh, If it's a celebrity, frequently it's about security. So you might need a hotel that has a separate private entrance. Uh, You have to find properties that understand how to work with famous people so that they don't reveal where they are to fans. Uh, So there's confidentiality clauses. There are special requests on what's known as a rider. So an an entertainer will have their own rider and that's going to say what they specifically need. It could be anything from, you know, PG tips tea or a kettle in a certain area, or they might need the room to be blacked out, uh, the curtains to be different. So all of that 
is a specialist. You cannot do that on Orbitz or Expedia, right? So if you want to just book a room, you could go on an online site and find a good deal and, and book. But when you are uh, a group of people that need special arrangements, you need to go to a service like Road Concierge. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, of course, it makes total sense. And I don't think we even think about that. You know, it's not something that you would normally think. But when you explain it the way you did, it makes 100% sense. I was a tour guide for 11 years and I used to travel around the US. I remember like the best the best washing machines were at the Orlando Marriott because they were the fastest because it was exactly that. I wasn't an artist or I wasn't, but I was, I, I lived out of my suitcase for weeks and these and, things. Yeah. yeah. The secret, the secret to my success in starting the company had been that I was the artist. I was the actress. I was doing Broadway shows on tour and I was touring for over a decade. And as I'm on tour, I'm thinking, why is our travel handled so poorly? Uh, I can do a better job at this. And I had no idea that it was going to be a business. When I started, I was simply trying to have a better touring experience for myself. And then I wanted to help some friends who were in the similar environment. And I realized very quickly after I started the company that I had tapped into an underserved niche market where I had the understanding of what they really needed. And that's when I stopped acting and focused on building the travel company. But I, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. There was no big business plan to do this. This was not, you know, I didn't go to business school. My plan was not to start a travel company. But I think the best businesses start when you see a need and you find a way to fill that need in a more creative way. And so it organically just happened that I transitioned from actor on tour to agent booking travel for other actors on tour and crew and musicians, etc. Yeah. And I think this is what many people don't think about. You know, people tend to start doing something because they've seen somebody else doing it. You know, it's like copying people. And instead of doing something that they are, they know about, you know, that, like you, you say, you've been in this business, you knew exactly what you needed. And, and you knew that there were many, many other people who needed that too. And I think that can give you a really, really good idea for your own business. And it's interesting now, you know, I get approached all the time from companies looking looking for investment and other things that have various travel technologies or, you know, an AI for travel. And there's a huge market for that, for sure. But I always explain that's not what my business ever needs because what I do cannot be done on the internet or via an AI tool. Leisure travel can. So if you're someone that says, I'd like to go to Italy, AI will be able to do a better job than I could for you because instantly it's going to pull up all sorts of options, background, information, photos. It's a brilliant way for you to book an individual person on their dream holiday. But to try to move 80 or 90 people with equipment and buses and independent needs on the internet is never going to happen. Or if it does, uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that also sort of makes me feel better because I do not want everything to be replaced by AI. I think humans will be needed and many, many things which we may think that they can be replaced, they cannot be replaced because we need, we need, uh, you know, like also sometimes a little bit of common sense and AI doesn't really have that much common sense. Now, you must have some funny stories or, you know, like stuff that happens with these artists. Do you have one handy or or do you? Or, I mean, obviously no names or nothing. Oh, like if you I mentioned. Mean, I, 
I have so many funny stories. Uh, I mean, it just depends on, I suppose, what you find humorous. Um, one thing that happened, this isn't really uh, about the travel per se, but it was a really funny experience for me. Uh, an artist who I obviously am not going to name, I get a phone call at 2.30 in the morning. And it was actually from the artist himself, which was shocking because typically I am not dealing directly with the artist. I'm dealing with a manager, a tour manager, or a personal manager, or even a personal assistant. But very rarely do the artists themselves call me. If they do, it's because they want to talk through something and they don't want it to be via a third party. So I do have a relationship directly with certain artists, but most of the time it's going through a management company or a filter. So I see my phone blow up with this artist's name on it. And I'm thinking it's 2.30 in the morning. Something must be very, very wrong. So I get a, I answer the phone and this verbatim was the conversation. I don't know where I am. <laughs> you don't know where you are? I, uh, so I get out of bed. I look up where he's supposed to be. I said, well, you should be at so-and-so hotel. And he goes, I don't think I'm there. <laughs> okay. Well, what do you see around you? He's like, I'm in a hallway. I said, okay, is there an elevator or a lift? Uh, yes. I said, get into it. Can you press L for lobby or G for ground? Yes. Is there a front desk? Yes. Go ask them where you are. <laughs> but it's so funny. I'm thinking, hey, how did he, re he obviously was very disoriented and had no idea what was happening. How did he even find my phone number in his phone? But then also, how do you expect me, a travel agent in New York, in the middle of the night for me, to know where you are. I don't have a chip in you. So I just, I thought that one was absolutely hysterical. Um, other things that I find hilarious really are more on the hotel side of misunderstanding my request for proposal. So I will send out an RFP and I will say, you know, I'm looking for X number of rooms for this. And they change what I've written in hilarious ways. So a very simple one is I was doing a tour of the show Cabaret, which is a very famous musical. Mm -hmm. 80% of the hotels that responded responded for Cabernet, which yeah. is a wine. <laughs> and I thought, well, there's a lot of alcoholic uh, hotels, you know, right out right now. That, that, that's what they heard in their head was Cabernet. So I thought that was funny. But the really funny one, I tell this story all the time just because it made me laugh so much. I get a, a phone call and, um, well, I guess I could say this because I'm not saying her full name or the actual property of where they were, but I get a call. Hi, this is Debbie. Okay, Debbie from Holiday Inn. In now, I won't tell you where it was. Okay. Um, how can I help you, Debbie? She says, I see that in 2009, the miserable ass company stayed with us. Is the miserable ass company returning to said city? And I'm like, the miserable ass company? What are you talking? I finally realized after a minute of confusion, she's talking about Les Miserables. So somehow she turned Les Miserables into not less miserables or something like that, but the miserable ass company. Where does the ass and come from? No idea. <laughs> but also I'm thinking to myself in your head, if you're, if you're reading from a script, a hotel tells you to call, doesn't it sound wrong to you that a group would stay with you called the miserable <laughs> ass? Company? I mean, that and I just, I couldn't stop laughing. I just was like, um, no, no, they're, the lame is a Rob company is not returning. Uh, their store is closed right now.
it just cracked me up that somebody could see Les Miserables and turn it into the miserable ass company. This is so funny. And I'm sure, I mean, you know, sometimes, I'm sure sometimes things happen and they happened to me when I was a tour guide. You're not even allowed to laugh. You have to be careful that, you know, you don't want to insult anybody. The things that people sometimes ask you. Hilarious. Well, that, so I used to work on cruise ships when I was young as a performer. And the questions that passengers would ask were sometimes so ridiculous. You almost didn't know how to respond. So for example, we did our little show and one of the ladies came over to me and she said, oh, you're such a wonderful singer. Do you guys get to stay on the ship as well? <laughs> We're in the middle of the ocean. It's like, no, we just swim home after the performance. And then, you know, and she was genuine. I mean, she was like, do you guys also stay on the ship? It was like, yes, That's ma'am. We're in the middle of the ocean. We live here. It's hilarious. Yeah. They don't think, I don't think, you know, I think sometimes people when they are out of, I have no, learned one thing, when people are out of their comfort zone, they 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 don't function. They are kind of confused. Or I saw a group of passengers just standing in front of the elevator for about 15 minutes. And I walked over, I said, is there something I can help you with? I assumed they were trying to figure out what deck to go to for what, you know, and they were trying to, they didn't know or they were waiting. And they said, yeah, we've just been waiting and waiting. And I looked at them and I, pushed the button for them <laughs> to light up. And it was like, you do know an elevator works the same way on a ship as anywhere else. You have to press a button for it to come. <laughs> they didn't think, they're just standing there staring at this elevator, just thinking it's eventually just going <laughs> to... You're like, what? And then, and then when you travel internationally, I find it hilarious, the, um, the translations sometimes that appear. Obviously, English might not be the first language of that country, but they're putting out a sign in English for their English speaking guests. And some of them are absolutely hilarious. Things like, you know, complaints expected between 9 and 11 a.m. Or, <laughs> you know, feel free to take advantage of the chambermaid. <laughs> right? Things like that. And it, you know what they mean, but it's so funny because you're like, you probably shouldn't take advantage of the chambermaid. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. That, I that might be wrong. It's so funny. But I mean, translation can go very, very wrong sometimes. So you just mentioned traveling internationally. Did you travel internationally as an artist? Yes, I did. In fact, my first very like big tour was a tour of Evita. And we started, we basically did Scandinavia and Germany, um, Switzerland, all the, all the German speaking countries and, um, and Scandic countries. And so I was 18 years old. And getting to travel all over Europe with this wonderful show. Now, this was before the Euro. So each country had their own currency. Mm-hmm. And so you'd wake up on a tour bus and you'd be like, we're in Belgium. Which thingies do we use in Belgium? You know, we'd call them thingies because we couldn't remember if it was going to be, you know, a pound or a shilling or a franc or a, you know, whatever it was. So that was a big change that happened during, you know, my lifetime was was going to Europe and all of a sudden everybody's on the on the euro which made it a lot easier to tour. I was also touring internationally before cell phones. So we would have to get a calling card and then internationally use our calling card from pay phones in all of these countries to to call home. And of course now you have your cell phone you don't even think about it. It makes no difference where you are. It is amazing. I was a tour guide when there were no cell phones. I was a tour guide in the 80s and I 
worked in the Maldives and we had one phone on the island where I live, just one phone in the office. And I called home once and I spoke to my grandmother and she never understood me because, you know, it was this satellite call. So we were both always talking at the same time. So and and then I got a, a bill of I, I think it was eight dollars a minute. You know, when you think of today, so expensive and 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 paper tickets for the airlines. Yes. We used to have to have our tickets delivered to us, you know, to get your ticket instead of it just being emailed to you. It's so that the amount of change that has happened with traveling in, in the course of my, you know, I'm 47 now. I was 18 when I started touring. It's really incredible, the changes. And, and I got the chance to go to incredible places for free, not just for free. I was paid to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best examples for me, that was a life experience. I will never forget. I was doing Les Miserables, <laughs> speaking <laughs> of the show, and they put together what they called the dream cast to come and open mainla- uh, mainland China. So we went to Shanghai. We were the very first Western musical to ever perform in mainland China. So they had people from the London company, from the Canada company, from the US company, we all joined and made our own little new show of our cast. And then we were taken to Asia. And so I got to experience China and Shanghai for the first time while performing in a musical that was historic. And so that was incredible experience. I'm very lucky in the travel that I've gotten to do. That is amazing. I mean, I think the best thing that can happen to you in life is to travel and to be paid for it. I think, you know, because there, of course, it depends on how much you like travel. But if you do, and I was, I, I did a recording yesterday with a young lady who is a travel coach. And I said to her, take it from a wise old woman. That buck never goes traveling once you are a travel addict or a travel guru or whatever you always will be yeah another incredible trip i was lucky to go on you know at no cost to myself was uh, south africa i was working um on a production that was essentially hosted by the heads of state all over the world and then they would show you the country that they wanted you to see and then this special would air it turned out this special was never aired because President Zuma uh, ended up having all sorts of corruption. And so it was just decided to not air the, what had been filmed. But we filmed for three days in South Africa, being taken everywhere by helicopter, getting to fly wow. in a fighter jet, you know, landing in the most beautiful wineries on the planet. See, And so to see South Africa that way was, again, a life changing experience. It would have cost a fortune to do it. And we saw everything from the most uh, exquisite five-star properties to the poorest, you know, orphaned children slums. Yeah, everything in between, and it was it was really um, that to me was one of the best trips of my life. How do you cope? And well, cope is maybe the wrong word, but because I know when I stopped being a tour guide suddenly I wasn't the center of attention anymore. I had to pay for my flights. I wasn't upgraded to business class anymore. How do you end what you did? Because that was a fascinating life. First of all, you were on stage. You were on stage. You were, you were, people were looking at you and you were traveling and you got to go to the place to the most beautiful places for free or you got paid for it. What happened when you stopped? Well, I will say that it was a big transition. I still miss doing theater. I still miss performing. I transitioned once I was focused on being an entrepreneur. That was a sacrifice you have to make. And so, yeah, there's times where 
I miss singing or I miss performing, but I have a very uh, different life now because I have more financial resources now than I did as an actor. I'm able to produce shows, right? So I'm still involved with Broadway and theater. I'm just involved on the business side now rather than on the art artist side. And it's really interesting the different people you meet and the different perspectives you get. As an actor, I would say, you know, why is this like that? I'd be outraged over something. And now when you're on the other side, you say, oh, I know exactly why. Because this is not some big, bad producer pocketing money and taking advantage of you. They're hemorrhaging money and they're working really hard to keep you employed and to keep a show going. And so it's really interesting when you get to see different parts of how a business works, have the perspective of everyone. So it, it, it's it's been a wonderful experience in that sense. And in terms of the travel perks, my company, Road Concierge, uh, was acquired by Altor who I work for now, Altor is a global travel company. Because of the volume of business that we give to airlines, hotels, you name it, I get hosted quite a bit. It's now I'm not paid to travel, but I will be given what they'll call a familiarization trip. And so a new property opens, they want us to see that property because they want us to bring our clients to the property. So I still get the perk of getting to stay in beautiful properties, seeing different you know, hotels and, and what's happening in travel. The difference is now I have to bop around a lot. So for example, I was just in London recently and all of these different hotels were, were giving me a free night, but only one night. And mm -hmm. I was there for a week. So in one week, I stayed at five different hotels. So that, <laughs> you know, it's a bit exhausting. You can't really settle in and just have your place. But it's fantastic too, because you get all, a completely different experience and you really get to see where properties are strong or weak. And that way, when your client comes to you and says, where should I stay or what should I do? You have a real perspective because you've stayed there. Yeah. You can say, hey, listen, you know, if you love the spa, mm -hmm. this is the hotel you should stay at because they have the most magnificent spa facilities and pool. But if you're not someone that likes a spa and you just want a place that's inexpensive or convenient to the tube, you should stay here. And so it really gives you the perspective to be able to then advise your client on you know, the right vibe for them, right? There's beautiful hotels that are very modern. So if you have a client that likes a classic property, they're not gonna like it. On the opposite side, you might have an old school, you know, beautiful Four Seasons Ritz-Carlton type of thing that is extraordinary and lovely. But if you have a client that wants something hyper-modern, that's not the right fit for them. And so you know, as you get that perspective of which brands are more modern, which brands are more classic, you know, who's focused on service, who's focused on rate and, and affordability and convenience, you have a much better way to advise your clients on what the right property is for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, those fan trips are so important. And I think, again, coming back to artificial intelligence or just, you know, descriptions, it's not the same. When you read a description, it's not the same than, than when you have, when you've been in the property, actually, when you've, as you say, walked out of it and see what you walk to, where it is. It's good to go yourself. I wanted to ask you something else coming back to um, being able to produce. What do you think of the, the young people now, the, you know, the person that you were, are they different? Are they, are they, of course, obviously social, not social media, but it's just the phone, just the, it, it makes a big difference. What's the difference? How do I'm, they compare? I'm genuinely concerned about the next generation. I realize that makes me sound very old and, and I'm sure every generation has said that, but the difference that I see 
and this isn't like millennials. This is Gen Z that I'm talking about. There's a genuine lack of human connection now. They're connected, but they're sitting next to each other on their phones to each other. They're not talking. If you, you know, you see this everywhere now. And I think that while it's great to have a virtual reality and experience a world from your couch, it's not the same as really connecting to other people in that place. And so I think technology in some ways has been good because you allow experiences that people wouldn't be able to afford uh, for them to, to, to get to know it. You can connect with larger groups of people on social media, but I feel there's a real lack of human to human connection. I think it's very dangerous. I, I don't have children, but if I had children, you know, my kids would be getting sent to like summer away, sleepaway camp for eight weeks, no phone, go out in the woods and play. You know, I think that there's not enough direct human to human interaction among young people now. And I also think the bigger issue is attention span. So when I was a kid, I would read a whole book. I would watch a movie. I would watch sitcom television for half an hour and I would be engaged in that story the whole time. I see with my, my niece and nephew and my friend's kids, because of these 30 second video delivery of their content, they don't have the attention span anymore. You know, a movie is boring to them now. Two hours for a movie, it's like they're already on their phone, they're texting. So I think that that lack of attention span is going to be a huge problem, not just for, for travel, but for the entire planet. Because if you cannot focus on something for a few hours, even something entertaining and interesting, even a sporting event, you know, most kids, you know, when, when they, you know, dad would go take you to a baseball game, you are really engaged. And now I find like they're at the baseball game, but they're on their phone for most of it, not watching the game. And I think that's a real problem. I, I'm genuinely worried about that training of the brain at a young age to not be able to focus for more than 30 seconds or a minute at a time. I think that's really dangerous. And as you said before, the lack of human connections. And I mean, it is a fact that um, lots of young People are depressed. Lots of young, the, the suicide rate of uh, teenagers has gone up by by a lot. And, um, you know, also comparing, of course, social media and seeing that everybody else is having a good time or pretending to have a good time and you're sitting there on your own. It is, as you say, it is dangerous. And I think it's important for people who have children. I have children, they're grown up and they're doing well. It's actually my daughter who tells me to put away the phone, which yeah. I love. <laughs> So, um, but not all or to, realize, or to realize that half the people on social media saying they're having this amazing time or not. And, and actually, you know, this brings up another point that I find so frustrating. I went to Art Basel in Miami and it's, a, you know, it's a big art show. And what I saw were hundreds, if not thousands of people walking past the art taking selfies of themselves, taking videos and pictures of themselves. Look what a great time I'm having at Art Basel. I don't think they looked at one piece of art. It was all about showing off. I'm here. I'm there. Look at me having fun. And I'm thinking, how are you having fun when all you're doing is taking pictures of yourself? You're not actually doing anything. That's crazy, but that yeah, happens I, a lot. Half of, media, half of social media is people just wanting to show other people that they're someplace amazing or doing something cool but they're not actually experiencing it. It's like, if you're at a concert, listen to the music. If you're yes. at an art show, look at the art. If you're traveling and you're on, you know, at the Great Wall of China, experience the wall. Stop taking videos of yourself. Yeah. So I find it really, I, I'm not on any of those social media platforms. I'm on LinkedIn because I find it useful and professional. 
And I'm on Facebook only to know people's birthdays. I find that tool amazing to remember, but I'm not on Twitter and Instagram and all of that. I just cannot be bothered. I'm too busy living my life to just be posting about it. That's well, that's well said. That is a very, very good way to 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 live. And as you say, you know, people actually watch concerts through their phone because they have they're busy filming it. So, you know, you know they, it, 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 this is true. It's crazy. Now, changing the subject, have you ever been to my part of the world? I live in Cyprus in the Eastern Mediterranean. I have never been to Cyprus. Uh, I would love to go. And maybe Greece? when I'm in London, in between... I'm going to Scotland after London for a golf trip, but I have I have about four days in between London and Scotland, and I'm trying to decide where to go. And I was trying to decide between and Portugal because I, I would really like to experience both of them. Cyprus is a country. Greece is another country. This is also something that many people kind of misunderstand. Cyprus is an independent republic, but it's Greek. You know, the people who, who we speak Greek, we are, I'm from Switzerland, but I have been living here for a very long time. So you're very welcome in between. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I know that Cyprus is, another, I was saying in my personal planning, I was looking at uh, Santorini or Lisbon. Those were my two that I was right. trying to I would I I haven't even thought about going to Cyprus. I would love it. So yeah, I I I would love to go to places I have not been. Yes. So the main part I've been to most of Europe. I've been to every place in America, every place in Canada, even the small. I mean, I've been to you know Medicine Hat and places in Canada that Canadians haven't been to. I've been to a lot of Latin America. I have never been at all to South Pacific. So I have never been to Australia, New Zealand. I'm dying to go to Indonesia and Thailand. Like I have not been to that part of the world. And that is on my personal bucket list of travel. And as you say, go to places where you haven't been instead of going, you know, sometimes we tend to go back to the same places. I think it's important to to go to new, open open your your uh, mind and, and go to different places and, and leave the comfort zone as well. And uh, try something. Well, there is one city. There's one city that I I have gone to every year, other than 2020 because the pandemic canceled my trip. But every year since I was 18 years old on that tour of Avita that I mentioned, I discovered my personal favorite city on the planet so far, and that's Amsterdam. And so I go to Amsterdam every single year, even if it's for a day. It's just I make it a priority in my life. I call it the home of my heart, the land of freedom and cheese. And I love Amsterdam. And that is my happy place. That was going to be now you've 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 messed up my my interview because that was, joking. <laughs> that was going to be a question because, you know, I ask people, what is your favorite place? And I find it difficult to because most people find this question difficult to answer because, you know, there are so many nice places. But in your case, it's very clear. So uh, Amsterdam it is. That's lovely. I love Amsterdam and and I love the Dutch people. They're very friendly and cool. Yeah, I've never felt more of a sense of homeland than I do in Amsterdam, which is funny because I'm not Dutch. But from the moment I set foot in Amsterdam, I felt like I came home. It was an instant feeling. So I don't know if you believe in past lives or whatever else, but there was a feeling like this is where I'm from somehow. Uh, Another thing I think is interesting is, so I'm of, of Jewish descent. And so I went to Israel for the first time. And I thought that I would go to Israel and feel that sense of homeland or history. I did not. I loved Israel. It was a stunning country, amazing place. I highly recommend anybody go go to Israel. But I was there like a tourist. I thought it was a fascinating place, but I did not feel that it was my home. 
in Amsterdam, even though I'm not from Dutch descent, I have never felt more at home anywhere on the planet than in Amsterdam. It's just, I don't know, the minute I set foot there, I feel at peace. How amazing. And yes, I do believe in past lives. I've never actually had this experience that you had, but I know that, you know, we've been to many places and I also know that we will be going to more places. And I also believe that if you're a good person, you'll be having a good time in the next place you go to. That's an interesting work because our time is up, but I think that's a very, very deep way to end <laughs> a podcast interview because, um, it's funny, like you're saying, you're of Jewish descent. You could have been born in Amsterdam. You could have lived in a, you don't know, you, like you say, you're not you're not of Dutch descent, but that could go back a long time. You never know. You, and, and you probably will never know. And it doesn't matter. And it's good that you feel comfortable there. I love it. And I've, I've loved talking to you today. So thanks I for having me. I did too. And I look forward to seeing you in London. Absolutely. And- I love London. Well, great. <laughs> but not as much as Amsterdam. And I want to thank you very much for spending time on Most Memorable Journeys today, Lisa Morris. My pleasure. Bye. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.